Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. We uh, have taken a little detour from our, our normal, uh, our normal uh, sermon series here. We've been on a series in Unity, and we took a couple weeks off with Easter and Balm Sunday, and with everything going on with Good Friday service, and uh, you know, we're still hearing reports back, and I think there's some people in church today that came to the Good Friday service that hadn't been here in a while, or maybe never been here, and they're here today again, and so God, God just has a way of using those things to draw people back into Him and all that He is, and drawing them back into relationship, but we've been in this series on unity, and, and really we're just going through Ephesians very, very um, methodically. Uh, I thought it would be a six-week series. It's, we're on week seven, and we haven't even got through chapter one yet. Um, and uh, I, hope, I hope that doesn't bore you, because I just want to squeeze every bit of truth out of here that we can, even though I know that that's impossible. Um, we're giving it a try. So we've been talking about unity, and we, we started with, and you can throw that outline slide up just to give everybody a reminder. We started with the beginning of unity and, and really what it means to be in Christ. Unity is oneness. Everybody say oneness. It's oneness, right? It's not sameness. It's oneness, and there's a difference. It's more about agreement than it is about uniformity. It's unity or uniformity. They're different. They're very similar, but they're different. Um, what it means to be in Christ, and, and why we, we start there with the beginning of unity um, into what it means to be in Christ is that that. Being in him, being unified with him, being plugged into the vine of Jesus Christ is ultra important when it comes to unity in all your other relationships. And being in Christ is being in Christ. Like you are plugged in. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me. He can do nothing according to John. And so we, we, uh, we talked about uh, what it means to be in Christ um, and that's really part of the beginning of unity. You have to remain in him, right? I mean, we can take, let me put it this way. We can take the vine of our life, the branch of our life, if you will, and plug it into the vine of, of Jesus Christ, and we have life. We can try to plug that branch into other things in this world to try to draw life from those but you'll never draw real life from anything in this world. There's only one life source, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the one true vine. Being in him and remaining in him. Um, and when you're, when you're in him, you're unified with him. You're one with him. And then we talked about some of the benefits that come with being in Christ and remaining in him. Number one, we get, we're adopted, right? We talked about being grafted into the vine with full rights to, to the inheritance that he has for us grafted in. We, we've been, uh, 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 have been redeemed. That's another benefit. Um, we've been purchased with the shed blood. We just got done singing about it. Our sin has been paid for in full. We've been ransomed. We are bought and paid for, and the curse of sin has been broken in our lives. We've been redeemed, church. It's awesome. And another benefit of being in Christ and remaining in him is we have been forgiven. How many have ever done anything wrong? There's like six honest people in the whole church. I mean, come on, how many have ever done anything wrong, right? We all have. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all made mistakes. None of us are perfect. Yet, 
when we're in Christ, we're forgiven of those things, no matter what they are, no matter how bad they may seem to us, we are forgiven. And the Bible says he takes those things and casts them into the sea of forgetfulness. He takes those things and removes them as far from us as the east is from the west. That's like infinity, by the way. That's how far he gets rid of that stuff. He forgives us. He forgives us. Another benefit of being in Christ is we know his will. Not only do we know the end game, what's going to happen to the devil and the enemy of our soul and, and what God has prepared for us, that, that's his will for those who are in him. But we also know his daily will for our lives as we live out this Christianity uh, here on this earth. And he gives us purpose and he gives us uh, meaningful lives when, when, we, when, when his will is revealed to us. Another benefit of being in Christ is we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into our hearts when the, the day we get saved, he comes and lives with us and he teaches us, he guides us, he leads us, he, he does all these things. And we, we even talked about, he even goes further than that because he, you know, you can be baptized or submerged in the Spirit and that's the difference between you having the Spirit and the Spirit having you, right? We talked about that. You remember that a few weeks ago? And uh, this, this sealing of the Holy Spirit he lives, it's God's spirit living inside of us so that we can be everything he created us to be. He empowers us to do that. So those are some benefits that we talked about of being in Christ. And, and again, I, I gotta say this, the beginning of all unity, the very foundation of unity in any area of your life is your personal unity with Christ. Your oneness with him. And remember, unity is oneness. It's sim simply put, it's just oneness. That's a great way to define it. If you are in Christ, you are one with him, you are unified with him. So that brings us to the, the next section of Ephesians chapter one. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. Kind of moves away from listing benefits and he gets into this, this uh, prayer that he prays for the Ephesians. He tells them he's gonna pray for them. Well, that's what we're gonna talk about today. T turn to your neighbor and say, I think this is gonna be really good. Building your faith. <laughs> so when I was in college, uh, right after I'd given my heart to the Lord once and for all, I mean, you know what I mean when I say that? You know, you kind of give your heart to the Lord and then you kind of fall and then you kind of, I gave my heart once and for all uh, when I was in college and, and never went back. But during that time, um, the, the young man who had, had led me to... Uh, pray the sinner's prayer and led me to be a part of Campus Crusade for Christ and led me to uh, go to a retreat where I, I ran to the altar basically and, and got totally changed forever. He uh, also invited me out to this, this cabin on a lake near Brookings, South Dakota. It was Lake Campbell. And Lake Campbell was kind of a shallow lake. It was, it was um, you know, it was a nice lake to water ski on, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything too awesome. I mean, Pastor Jared grew up on Lake Campbell probably a little bit, funning around out there. How fun was Lake Campbell? Eh, it was all right. Yeah, it was, it was there. It was close, so, you know, it was a place to get wet. But Dan used to take me out there, the young man who had, who had led me to the Lord, and um, he would take me out to Lake Campbell into this, this cabin. It was, it was an older cabin, probably 70s type, where there were these three old men that gathered and prayed and it was like at six in the morning, and I'm not really much of a morning person. 
I mean, I can wake up at six. I can wake up for five. I've proven I can do that when I deer hunt. I can get up really early. Why is it that you can get up so early when you're going hunting, right? I can do it. I'm just not awake till 10 o'clock, right? I'm not awake till I have a few cups of coffee or pots of coffee. And um, I, uh, I uh, went, got up, and it was at, I remember it was at 6 a.m. We had to be out there. So he comes up at like 5.30, pick me up, and, and Dan's like one of those guys who's like, hey, are you ready to go? This is going to be awesome, you know? And I'm like, shut it, it's early, you know? <laughs> But I went with them, and I got out there, and there's these three old men. There was Al London. He's passed away since then. All these have, because they were old. Dwight Messerschmidt, and that was 30 years ago. Dwight Messerschmidt was a man that was out there. And this 84-year-old named John, I don't remember his last name, but he had just been saved. Those guys had worked on him and led him to the Lord, and so he was like this baby Christian, all excited for the Lord at age 84, which is pretty rare, by the way. And they'd get together, and they'd pray, and they'd talk, and they'd, they'd discuss Scripture, and then they'd pray. And Dan went out there and, and with me, brought me out there, and, and then after I was out there one time, I didn't want to miss. It was once a week. I don't even remember what day it was, probably Saturday, I would imagine. And we had, um, they would make toast. I remember toast and peanut butter. That was the big thing. We had toast and peanut butter. And we would just eat toast and peanut butter, pray and discuss scripture. And, but I didn't really talk a whole lot. I was pretty new to all this. I just remember sitting there listening to these guys pray and marveling at how close they were to God. They loved him. They loved him. They had a real relationship with him that was so evident. And I remember sitting there thinking, someday when I'm that old, I'm going to have a prayer life like that. I want a prayer life like that. I want to be like that. I want to know God that well. So I had grown up memorizing prayers and then reciting them. Some of you can relate to that. When I heard others pray, it felt monotone and like a bunch of drones saying the same thing with the same voice inflections. And it was, for the most part, powerless. Prayers are an interesting thing. They, they're so vital in our relationship with Christ, yet I think most Christians find it difficult to pray out loud in front of others. I, maybe it's fear. Maybe it's insecurity. I, I don't know, but maybe it's just the, not a lack of learning, I guess. I don't know what it is, but hearing so many Christians say they don't feel comfortable praying in front of others, it never ceases to shock me. Prayer is essential in staying in step with Christ, in remaining in him. Not just praying under your breath, but praying out in front of people as well. I think that's important. And you know what? If someone starts off and they say, and they, and they, they start praying, maybe this is you, maybe it's someone you know, and they say, Lord Jesus, help me, I, I need you, um, I think you're awesome, and that's it. That's a wonderful prayer. Don't knock that, and don't feel embarrassed about praying it. That's a good prayer. Prayer is just talking to God from your heart. That's all it is. There's no magical words, right? There's no magical way of saying things, and I know we have methods of prayer and all that, and that's all good to learn about those things, but for goodness sakes, don't shut down prayer in your life because you feel insecure, you feel like you don't know enough, or you feel like you can't talk. That's just the dumb old devil telling you that stuff. 
Prayer is powerful and it's vital to your relationship with Christ. And you know, you can't remain in him if you never talk to him. You can't. You can't be in him and shut down the conversation. Alyssa, where are you sitting? Are you here? Oh, she had to go help the kids somewhere probably. Back there, wherever she is. Over there. Oh, there she is. Alyssa. Starting right now, from till, till the day we, one of us dies and we're no longer married, I, I want us never to talk again <laughs> to each other. Let's just live our married life and have a wonderful marriage relationship by never speaking to one another again. Don't you think that's a good idea? I won't know what you're thinking. I won't know what you're saying. I, I, I won't know any. I, we won't know each other. How many know that's ridiculous? But we do it with God all the time. Some of us go weeks and months without even talking to him. You can't remain in him if you, if you shut down communication with the Lord. That's what prayer is. It's communication with God. And prayer is really the nerve that moves the muscle, which moves the hand of God or the arm of God. Prayer absolutely, hear me, church, 100% works. It works. Uh, this, is, this is where the pastor says, prayer works, and there we go, amen, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> Wake up, church, prayer works. It works. And if it didn't work, we wouldn't do it, but we do it because it works. And God's called us to do it. I, I think about uh, again, and I, I know we've talked about this, Larry. Where's Larry? I can't see anything in with this dark. There he is. I mean, he was healed of leukemia recently. Completely healed, right? After the doctor told him that you have a, you know, it's in remission maybe or whatever, he's like, I'm gonna, you know, you're gonna die of old age, he said. You're not gonna die of leukemia. He, he went to another doctor, I think, and got more tests just to verify it. You wanted to verify that sucker. It's okay to verify your healing, right? That's what, that's what the lepers did when Jesus healed them. He said, go show yourself to the priest. That was verifying their healing. So he goes to another doctor, the doctor says, you're, you're cancer-free? Is that what they said? Your can, cancer, MRI said you're cancer-free. So it verified it. He's, he's healed. Church prayer works. He not only called for the elders of the church, he came in even before that and wanted prayer for the pastors, which I guess were elders, but he wanted more prayer. He came down front, went over here, and got pray, prayer, and then he got more prayer after he found all that out. He prayed, 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 got everybody praying, and it was a good thing, and he's got a miracle report, right? It works. Yeah, amen. And I know there's those who are sitting here today who you prayed and prayed and prayed, and maybe your miracle didn't come the way you wanted it, but your miracle's on the way. Maybe the person you prayed for actually passed away, but your miracle's still on the way because there's a forever together to look forward to. And we could get into the theology of all that, but we're not going to today. There's another miracle report in here. Uh, Scott Ely, I think you're sitting up there. I'm pointing somewhere. Am I right? Yep, there he is. He's waving his hand. Scott Ely had cancer. Man, I, when I saw you in the hospital at one time, that was, that was a long time ago, you didn't weigh much. You were beautiful. <laughs> not as pretty as your wife. Well, you couldn't have been 100, 110 pounds. You were wasted away, and cancer was all. He just got, he, he had four, stage four cancer. He just got a clean bill of health, no cancer. <laughs> Prayer works. 
prayer works. And just because we don't get what we want when we pray sometimes doesn't mean we should shut prayer down because prayer works. And as we move on in chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul begins to share with the believers at the church in Ephesus how he prays for them. And the first thing he says is that he starts with prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving. And like the psalmist said, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, right? We start thanking God. Oh, I don't know what to pray for. We'll just start thanking God for all the good stuff he's doing. That's how you start. That'll bring the spirit of God right the presence of God right into your midst, and then you can start, then all of a sudden he'll start reminding you of things you need to pray about. But start with that thanksgiving. That's what he does. In Ephesians 1, 15 through 16a, and I put that a on there because we're not going to finish the whole verse in this part of the, I'm not going to read the whole verse, I'll read the next, the, the, the next part of it in a little bit. But ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. He's not stopped. I'm thanking God for you. He's talking to the Ephesians. This is his letter to the church at Ephesus. He goes, I've heard of your strong faith. Their faith in Christ. He's heard of their love for God's people everywhere. How they loved one another. And he goes, I have not stopped thanking God for you. And this, of course, follows suit with what Jesus said. When that expert in the law, don't you just love the experts? The expert in the law that tested him with a question. In Matthew 22, 36 through 40, it says, Teacher, this is the expert, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He's trying to trick him, trying to test him. And Jesus replied like he usually did to questions like this. He just like, just silenced everybody with his answer because it was so genius and so amazing. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, all the law, all the Old Testament, all that law, all that Mosaic law, all of it, 10 commandments and all the other stuff, it all hangs on these two commandments. He just summed up the whole Old Testament in two verses. And do you see how this backs up what we've been talking about in reference to unity? Love God, remain in him, and love people. We haven't got to that, but we're starting to get into loving people. Unity. Love people. Paul says he can't stop giving thanks to, to God for a church full of people who actually practice what Jesus said. They loved God and they loved people. But wait a minute, shouldn't this be automatic? Isn't this the rule and not the exception as far as how the church should act? Shouldn't it be assumed that God's people would naturally love him and love one another? And I think it was the exception. I think it's still the exception. Because it's exceptional when God's people actually do this. When they love God and they love people. And Paul is taking, are talking specifically about people in the church loving one another. It's one thing to love the lost, and we should, but the lost will never be drawn into the body of Christ when those that claim they are a part of that body can't stand one another. And I'm getting kind of ornery. Pull back your toes. I might be stepping on them here just a little bit. Everyone who's listening to this right now, whether it's online or here today, hear me. At any given time, you may be right 
And you may be wrong with how you interact with one another in those relationships. How many know relationships are complicated? They're complicated. We all come from different backgrounds, different places, different situations, different things happen to us on a daily basis, and then we come together, and then if there's like little headbutts and little tiffs, it's tough, it's difficult, it's complicated. And I'm pretty sure that I've been wrong on many occasions. Nobody said amen, that's good. <laughs> Not even my staff did, they were thinking it though, and they would be right to. I've been wrong on many occasions, but I've also been right. I think that's all of us. We can be right and we can be wrong, and we have to realize that. We can't get so amped up in our emotions when our feelings get hurt, and, and, and our emotions and feelings are part of what God has given us to process things in this life. But you can't always trust your feelings. Emotions can lie to you, church. You most certainly have the right to those emotions and feelings, but when you start standing on them as your source of truth, when you begin to rely on them as the place from which you react and how you react to one another in this life, you will find that they aren't a very good foundation to be standing on. They just aren't. We have to choose to love one another. Love is not a feeling, hear me. Love is not a feeling. Ever. It's a choice that you make. I will love this person even if it hurts to do so. I choose to love. That's what God did for us. I mean, if you don't understand that, then you think that you are somehow worthy of, of, of God's son dying on a cross for you. Like, well, I was pre I'm pretty good, so I think, I think that's why he did it, you know, because I'm, I'm worthy of that. You're not worthy of that. You're not worthy of that. He loved you. He chose to love you. And just like that is true, it's true that we ought to love one another and choose to do so. Well, I don't like that person. Well, fine, love them anyway. Don't go over to their house every other day. Don't go out to coffee with, I can't stand that person. Well, well, you know, you don't have to be buddy-buddy friends. You might not like somebody, but you have to love them. And I'm not giving you an excuse to not be nice, because loving them is being nice. You could preach a whole message on being nice. Church could take some lessons on that from sometimes people even in the world. I think I've heard messages on the meanest people I ever met were in the church. And the meanest ones in the church were board members <laughs> and pastoral staff. I've heard messages like that, and they're not that far off. Some of them are absolutely true. We have to choose to love one another. Love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Love him with all you got. Love him with your whole being. That's step one. And you can't live out step two without practicing step one. And step two is this, love, love people, especially one another. Jesus even told us that the world would know we are Christians by our love for one another, how we treat each other. That's what draws them. See, Paul knew in his prayer how special it was that the Ephesians loved God and loved people. 
He knew that it was exceptional to see a church loving God and loving one another, so much that he couldn't stop offering up prayers of thanksgiving to God for them all. He, and and, then, and then, then he says this, Ephesians 1, 16b through 18a, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. He just got done telling him, thank you, thank, I thank God continually. I don't stop giving God thanks because of how awesome you love God and how awesome you love each other. But I pray for you constantly that the Lord Jesus Christ will give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. You see, they haven't arrived yet, even though they're doing those things. Anybody in here arrive? I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to all those he's called. All of those benefits we just got done talking about of being in Christ, all those blessings that we went over in this series just, just weeks ago, Paul prays constantly that these Ephesian believers would grow in their wisdom and knowledge of them and that their hearts would be enlightened so that they could truly understand the hope that he's given to all who are in him. Those who have responded to the call of Jesus. I, I'm telling you, you don't really know something in, in, in the Lord until it's really been revealed to you. There's an element there that it's just gotta be revealed. The light of truth shines on you and you just get it, right? We sometimes call them aha moments. Aha, right? And here it's like Paul is saying, okay, you guys get it? You love God, you love people, I give thanks for that all the time. And because you get it, I'm going to give thanks to God for you, but I'm also going to pray constantly that you keep getting it, that that never stops. That you keep growing in wisdom and knowledge and that the light of truth would always be speaking to you and leading you. You don't stop in those things. You pour gasoline on them. That's what Paul's doing here. They're growing in wisdom and knowledge. They're growing in, in, in the 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 very fact that the light of truth is shining on them and they're getting it. So he's gonna pour gasoline on it. He's gonna pray that God would keep doing that more and more and more and more and more. Church, I've listened to godly men and godly women pray before, but this scripture is an inside look at how Paul prayed. Reading this is like eavesdropping on Paul's prayer life. And the apostle Paul is someone we should listen to. After all, it was he who, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, wrote nearly half the, the New Testament. And notice here that, that this prayer isn't about them living in a culture that was increasingly hostile to Christianity. And it was hostile. It was a hostile culture. I think we can relate to that. Notice that Paul doesn't pray for God to protect them. He doesn't offer up any prayers in these verses to heal the sick or, or bring financial security to those among them that were poor. He doesn't even pray for their continued happiness or for God to heal their hurts and take away their sadness. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for these things. We should. But Paul's prayer here seems to go deeper than all of that stuff that, that's kind of connected to this world in our lives here. He says, basically, God, give them continued wisdom. Help them grow in attaining knowledge and let truth's light fall on them so that they may truly understand you and all that you have done for them. I'm telling you right now, to understand what God has done in reference to redeeming us, it takes a lifetime of meditation, 
prayer and being in the word and you're still not gonna understand it all till you stand before God and, you, and, you, and it's just revealed to you. What he really did. Who we really are in Christ Jesus. Our identity in him. We're not, we, we can't really fully understand that unless there's a revelation. And we pray for that. And we meditate on it. We, we, we dive into scripture to, to just let that be poured out more. That revelation just come more and more and more so that we would understand. Well, I get it. I got it right away. Bull honky you did. His prayer seems to be less about this life and more eternally focused. The light of truth has to lead us. And, and you may remember that Jesus once said to Peter, it's a great example of this, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded with, Brad, do you know? You are the son of God. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I think that was one of your lines in the Good Friday service. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus then says, you only know this because it has been revealed to you. That's the light of truth. You can hear the message of the gospel. You can memorize whole books of the Bible, and that's a good thing. But until the, the light of truth opens your spiritual eyes, all the knowledge in the world is of little value. Paul himself didn't see for a long time. He was trained in the law by the very best teachers. He didn't understand until the light of truth knocked him down and blinded him. Then three days later, his sight was restored as something like scales fell from his eyes. The light of truth blinded him physically, but ultimately opened his spiritual eyes, which was much more important. Why do you think Paul's prayer here is so passionate? And if you read it and you meditate on it and you read it again and again and again and again and again, just those, those few verses we've gone over, it's amazing. You feel the passion in his prayer. Why was he so passionate? He not only knew how wonderful it was that they got it, but he wanted them to keep getting it. They understood and he wanted them to grow in that understanding. Ephesians 1, 18b says, says this, it's the second part of that verse, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I'm gonna read all of verse 18 so it makes sense. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I think everyone here can understand how God himself, leave that verse up there for a second, uh, how God himself and all that he has for us is our inheritance, right? And we should be happy about that. How many are excited that he's our inheritance, right? That's amazing, right? Awesome. When we receive Christ and we remain in him, we are the very beneficiaries of his amazing love. But Paul says here that we, I, I, you know, when I read, whenever I read this, I always do a double take because it's like, what? Paul says here that we, us, you, me, that we're God's inheritance. Have you thought about that? Have you just read over that? What does that mean? That we are his rich and glorious inheritance. That's mind-blowing. God, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere all the time, God owned, who owns everything in the universe, the stars, the planets, the entire cosmos, he considers us 
you and me, his most prized inheritance. We are his possession. We are his inheritance. His glorious inheritance. His rich inheritance is what Paul says. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are his rich and glorious inheritance. I mean, is that mind-blowing? Most of us look in the mirror and like, we're like, I don't like what I see, I don't think it. And God says, you're my rich and glorious inheritance. I did this all so I could have you forever. That's how much he loves you. I, I mean, some of you aren't getting it. God revealed to them right now the truth of this. Give them the light of truth so they understand this. You are his inheritance. I mean, I don't usually think of myself as being so awesome that I'm God's glorious and rich inheritance because I'm not awesome at all until the blood of Jesus is applied to my life and I'm washed clean as snow and I'm redeemed and I'm set free and sin has no hold on me and I look like God and I am like God in that sense. I'm, I'm created in his image. I'm his kid. Don't, don't, uh, don't uh, take that little part out where I said, I am like God, okay, and, and take that out of context. We're never going to be God, right? But understand, we're his rich and glorious inheritance. You are amazing. I, I, I know I do this a lot, probably annoy some of you, but turn to your neighbor and tell them, you are amazing. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you got it going on. I mean, church, we are God's rich and glorious inheritance. I hope you get that. And only because of his blood. I mean, it's nothing we've done. We don't deserve that in and of ourselves. Deuteronomy backs this up. Chapter 32, verse 9 through 10. says, the Lord's portion is his people. Where's people? It says, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. In a desert land, he found him in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. And I, I, wonder, I always wonder about that phrase, the apple of his eye. The Hebrew meaning of the phrase, the apple of his eye, literally means this, the little man of his eye. And you know what that is? That's the pupil in your eye, and if you get real intimate and up close to somebody, you can see your reflection in their pupil. You're the little man in his eye. That speaks of intimacy with God, yeah. that he loves you so much that you are that little person. You're so close to him that he can see you right in the apple of his eye. I'm not pinching heads off either. You're the apple of his eye. That's how much he loves you. You're his most prized possession. You're his inheritance. Again, Paul is praying this. He wants them to know and understand how valuable they are to the king of the universe. And he continues on telling them how he prays for them. In Ephesians 1.19, first part of that verse, he says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who, be 
who believe in him. It's important to Paul that these believers understood the greatness of God's power. That is for us, the power that's for us. This is the power of his spirit manifested in us to live for him, to achieve continual victory over Satan and sin, to witness effectively for Christ and basically fight the good fight of faith and finish the race which he's called us all to run. The word believe here, I also understand that you will under, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. Throw that scripture back up there if you would. Believe, believe in him. That word believe there is pistua. Pistua. It's a Greek word, and it carries with it the idea of total commitment. You know, some people say to me, Well, I believe in Jesus. And my response is, so does the devil. This kind of belief, in fact, uh, this belief, this word believe carries with it total commitment. You believe unto commitment. You believe so wholeheartedly that it changes you from the inside out, that you commit to him. It's not just enough to simply give mental consent of belief in Jesus. That belief must reach the level of pistua, a belief strong enough to produce commitment. It's the same word that's used in Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe unto commitment in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul prays that they will understand the power that's within them to live out this Christian life. You know, for those of you that struggle with whatever it is you struggle with, maybe it's some kind of substance or that you just can't get rid of the addiction. No one in this church is here to beat you over the head about addictions. You know, we've all been there probably in one way or the other. But here's the thing. You don't have to live with addiction. You just don't have to. You don't understand how addicted I am. No, I'm, I'm telling you, you don't know who my God is then. He can absolutely set you free. You don't have to believe me. Believe me, and there's not something wrong with you that's kept you addicted for so long. I'm just saying, again, the revelation of the light of truth. Here's some truth. Let me, let me drop some truth on you this morning. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. And you don't have to live under that anymore, those kind of addictions. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's some kind of emotional thing. I, I, I don't know. Whatever you struggle with, whatever you struggle with, man, God wants you. God wants you to understand there's a power within you to live out this Christian life victoriously and to run the race, run the faith race, just with, with total success. And not only that, but Paul also prays that they will understand the power that's within them. You talk about power to live the Christian life, but power to witness, power to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, power to... Uh, cast out demonic entities, power to see all sorts of things happen. You know, a lot of us remember the days of, of faith healers. We remember the, I always call them the biggie wow names, right? The big names in ministry who will come to a town and they'll lay hands on people and it's all about, it's all about a lot of times, even if they don't try for it to be, it's all about the person, that, that minister who has that special anointing. And there are ministers with special anointings. I'm not saying that. But I believe this, and this is just an opinion. I believe in the last days, there's going to be pockets of miracle working power all over the place, and no man is going to get any credit. I mean, I think there's going to be kids in children's church laying hands on one another, and there's going to be healings down there. 
and no one's going to even know. I believe up here there'll be, there'll be multitudes of people laying hands. Well, who was the one that laid hands on them and, and, that, and, and actually the healing flowed through them? It won't even matter. There's just going to be miracles all over, little pockets of miracle-working power all over until the whole world is just covered with his glory. I, I believe that. I do believe in a last day's revival, and I think that's going to be part of it. I, I think about the healings we've experienced around here. I, I hear about them down in, in Church of Missouri, James River. I hear about them all over happening. And it's just like, it, it, are, are you starting to just pop these little pockets of, of revival and prayer and worship and healing and all these things all over? It, it's just going to spread like wildfire. But it's not going to be one big ministry that comes in and changes everything, right? The day of the biggie wow is over. That's what I like to say. Paul prays here that they would understand this power that's in them. Then he goes into teaching mode and says this. In fact, as I was reading that over and over, I thought, you know, Jesus even said, greater works will you do. Ephesians 1, 19b, the rest of that verse in 23, this is the same mighty power Paul's going into teaching mode here. He says, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand and in the heavenly realms. It's the same power. We already said that, but here's Paul saying it. Now he is, speaking of Christ, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things, God has put some things, God's put a few things, put all things, right, under the authority of Christ. He's put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church, his people. Are you hearing that? I mean, this is like, really? He's made him head over all things for our benefit. Not just so that he can be the all in all, which he is, and that's wonderful, but he did it for our benefit. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. I mean, church, this is a prayer of a godly man. And I, I love it. It's a prayer for the Ephesians. But it's our prayer too today. It's what God would want to be prayed for us. I, I, think, I think it's what we should be praying for each other. And I want to pray this morning, and I want to take a lesson from the Apostle Paul and how he prayed. Maybe your struggle is with loving God right now. You feel slighted or ignored because life hasn't gone the way it was supposed to go, at least in your eyes. Maybe you're struggling with loving another Christian. You've allowed yourself to let bitterness or envy set in or unforgiveness. It's taken root. Paul thanked God continually for the Ephesian believers, for their love for God and people. And as 21st century Christians, that's a little convicting because it's difficult to choose love when holding on to ugly feelings and emotions that come so naturally to us. This morning, if, you're, if you feel ugly towards someone, especially someone in the church, You need to love them. You need to choose to love them. That's your family. 
they will know out there we are Christians by our love for one another. You don't have to be just like them. You can be you. But you have to come to an agreement. And, you know, I, I understand that that's too, that's, that's too sided, and sometimes the, the other party won't, won't reciprocate what you're feeling, but you do your part. That's what you're supposed to do. And love, and choose love. And let's not forget to thank God for the love that is displayed. There is a lot of love. There's a lot of love in this place displayed between believers. I, I saw that cast working together and loving on each other and encouraging one another during the Good Friday experience. It was amazing to watch. That's the best thing about Good Friday experience is watching our church come together and love one another. I, I love it. Every year seems like that's what happens. And we should thank God for that. And we should also continually pray that we grow in our wisdom. We get it, right? But we want to keep getting it. We want to keep getting it. We want to keep growing in our wisdom and knowledge and growing in, in, in our ability to, uh, to, to have the light of truth being poured upon us, that we're, it's revealed to us. We want to grow in that. We want to be praying for one another in that. And then we understand that the power that is available to us the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to help us live our lives for Jesus and help us witness and help us do the things he's called us to do. I mean, it's, it's not like God just did this stuff for us and he said, okay, now you're on your own. I mean, he has given you way more than you ever could need to get the job done. That was Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. I believe that's God's heart for us. And... Uh, would you just bow your heads this morning? We're going to end in prayer. And I'm going to do something a little different today. I, I've, I've missed Larry Perry. He's back, and that's good to have him back. Would you come and close the service in prayer today? And just maybe take a few of those lines from, the, I'm putting you on the spot, take a few of those lines that we just talked about and pray for the church that way. How many love this man? It's wonderful to hear a message on prayer and then be called forward to pray. <laughs> the Lord better give me words. Well, first of all, the Bible does say it's a privilege to pray. And so I thank you, Father, for giving me an opportunity to speak to you from my heart. No special words, but just from my heart, Lord. I thank you for your presence, Father. We love you. You are the one and only God, and we serve you as the one and only God. We love you with all of our heart, and all of our mind, and all of our soul, and all of our strength. We just thank you for all your love and your mercy that we can sense your presence when we come into your house, and the love that we have, and the sense that we feel the love that we have for one another as we're together. We truly want to serve you. We want to I want to bless you, Lord, by the way we live our lives. <clears throat> Help us, give us opportunities to love others and to love each other. Be with us this day as we go out. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.